Hello, and welcome again to the Sales Revolution podcast. I'm your host, Moed Amin. And as you know from all the other videos, you know, this podcast is about changing the status quo on sales. You know, sales right now is stuck in the 90s. We're being taught things that, quite frankly, worked three decades ago. The world has moved on. My job and this podcast's job is to give you the skills to help you stand out ahead of everyone and really enjoy your success as a salesperson. So you'll be seeing insights and advice from some of the best people in the world that are not just about sales. They're going to be about things that actually help you become the best, not just learn to be the best. So today I have a really special guest. Um, Fred is uh, someone that I came across on a previous podcast and he and I actually joined his own podcast. I thought what he had to share was so fascinating. I really wanted him to come on our own and on this particular show. So Fred is the founder of uh, Brindis, which is a sales training consultancy. So for the last 22 years, he has traveled around the world 14 times and visited 36 countries. He has worked with over 10,000 salespeople in over 200 companies. So this person has an incredible amount of experience and a huge amount of practical and market-driven uh, expertise. Uh, you know, he's taken some of the things that really makes a difference in modern sell selling, particularly in complex selling. And he's um, authored a book called Selling Through Partnering Skills. And I'm really excited to discuss the content of that book. So please help me welcome Fred Kopsik. Fred, thank you and uh, welcome to the show. No, thanks so much for inviting me. Um, so there are six partnering intelligence qualities, let's call it that, that you write about in your book. And, um, and I thought, by the way, if anyone, we'll, we'll, leave, a, we'll leave notes in the, in the show notes if you want to uh, get some more information about the book. I thought it was a great book because it talks about, you and I seem to be very aligned to the values and beliefs that we have about sales. You know, I'm constantly frustrated by how so many salespeople out there in the world are being taught, you know, 30-year-old techniques, skills. They're even, they're even being taught by their sales leaders expectations that, quite frankly, are 30 years old. And you have uh, reawakened my belief and uh, faith in the sales uh, world with the book that you wrote, because it's so aligned to the fact that we're not selling to people we are partnering and working with people. We're trying to create relationships that are lifelong um, for, for the both businesses and for both individuals. So your, your book came as a breath of fresh air. Can you tell me a bit more about what led you to write this book um, uh, and, and take you on that path? Sure, yeah, I mean, similar to what you said, it's just seeing so much stuff that people are doing that just doesn't work. <laughs> it's, it's, quite, it's old fashioned. and it's not as if stuff isn't changing or wasn't changing anyway. And you can see the evolution of changing sales. And obviously when we're talking now, we just have this massive change, which just shifts where we were going even faster, I think. But yeah, I, I didn't foresee COVID. <laughs> Probably would have written the book if I did. I'd have done something totally different. But, uh, but you know, still, a lot of stuff that's going on out there doesn't work. Yeah. But with, by helping people develop the right mindset, getting the right ethos, 
that puts them on the right path to then start using the right behaviors and really doing things that work for all parties. Mm. So yeah, that's why it should become very, very attractive for people to, to want to make the shift, um, which I would argue isn't a massively difficult shift anyway, unless you're so entrenched in old fashioned style. Um, so yeah, it, it was that really. And then, you know, like I said, the opportunity that I've had to travel so much and to see so many different people operating and, and start to pick up on the things that, hey, this stuff's smart, this works, this this is where we are going. So that, that, that's why I did it. Yeah, so that's that's super interesting because it's not that just the world is changing, the buyer's world has changed, right? The way that buyers buy and what they expect has radically changed. And it almost feels like what we're taught as sales is, is almost completely misaligned with how buyers would like to engage with sellers. Obviously, we can't do everything that the buyers want, otherwise we'd probably be out of business. But but there's such a dissonance and such a gap between the two. Have you seen that as well? Is that What are your observations there? Yeah, and that was one of the frustrations. <laughs> you know, it's people right. sort of asking, kind of giving a training brief, which is, hang on, you're, it's as though you're asking for me to help you do something to buyers as though sales is something that you do to somebody mm. and it's like no it's not that i mean that's 80s like you said 90s that's kind of 80s you know get this arm wrestle with them and kind of batter them into submission of, of taking something yeah. from you you know yeah. coffees for closers and all that stuff and it's just like no it's not like that and so all the training i'd always done is kind of more consultative more value-based mm. and, and that's a good solid foundation let's not get that wrong but it's just, now nah, there's a bit more. There's a bit more. We can refine this. We really need to be understanding them, their world, what they're trying to do, collaborate with them. And then the collaboration has kind of many geysers and what you actually have to do at a given time might change. And that's the skill of a salesperson, working out what's that thing that I'm going to do that's the best thing at this stage in time with this buyer rather than the book says... At this stage, I do X, then I go to Y, then I do Z. Because, yeah, that doesn't really work, does it? <laughs> no, it doesn't. It doesn't. And it's really interesting. And I really want to get into those six elements that you describe in your book. Before we do that, there are just two main questions I really want to ask you um, to set the scene. Number one, when, when someone talks about collaboration and partnership, sometimes instinctively we think, well, that's a lengthy process, right? That, that feels like too long a sales process than maybe it needs to be. Because in sales, we have this pressure from you know, our managers and leaders, pressure from our peers, sometimes pressure from external forces that almost pushes us to have to uh, approach sales in a very fast paced manner. And, and that requires us to be sometimes very direct. When you describe partnership and collaboration, that seems a lot slower, instinctively anyway, some people might interpret that as being a lot slower and they might say, well, look, I can't take that kind of time because I've got pressure to hit my targets. I've got pressure that means if I don't hit them, I might be out of a job. What do you say to people that might have that view? Uh, there's a kind of flippant answer, which is it takes as long as it takes. <laughs> you know, and that by trying to speed something up, the danger is that actually you do a lot of damage and what you're trying to achieve you never achieve because you've burnt all the bridges you know you piss people off and they don't want to work with you anymore and yeah it does take time so when we break in you know go into some of the elements and certainly how we build trust and the rest of it 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 doesn't happen just overnight mm. but i think that by applying this way of thinking being kind of clear and open in that this is how i want to work 
it can actually speed stuff up because when the customer gets oh, that's why you're doing what you do i can see what you're doing and you know i would just be very overt with it then it will make stuff faster i'm on a bit of a thing at the moment about whether customers should be invited to sales training and I'm going around asking people this and, you know, depending on their answers of what mood I'm in, I can go off on one or not. But for me, yes, you should. If this is what you're training and you're proud of it, and we're saying we're training our guys to work better with you because they get how to partner, how to collaborate. And it takes two to tango. So if you want to come on our dime, then we will all do better. I think that's such a strong message. So strong. Why would you not want to? Yeah, agreed. Agreed. And it's interesting you talk about customers being invited to sales training. What, what I've done for some clients is arrange for customers to record videos about why they bought from them and the things that they get from them and what they liked about the sales process, especially both before and after they became a client. And those videos are showcased within the training programs of, of the sales team. Um, and so, so I, I agree with you there. And, and it's almost as this, the, your answer to the fact that it takes time is almost as if you're saying maybe at the beginning it takes time because you're creating the right foundations but as a whole when you look at the whole pipeline um and even the individual sales you're you're going to find that actually the total amount of time is shorter it may feel slow at the beginning but in the end it's a lot shorter did i understand that correctly yeah yeah and i mean and we, and we should be pushing back on this anyway and when we're sort of saying if you're getting worried about time frames who is who is this becoming all about it's becoming about you your target when you get the deal when you can close you can get your bonus yeah you're missing a major part of modern selling here that it has to be about the customer so the more that you're getting fascinated about yourself the the, the less good job you're going to do of, of selling professionally in the way it needs to be done today because you're just becoming self-centered yeah so yeah. Look, it's easy to say that in a kind of sort of philosophical and high level way but actually that's what works and if you're trying to say no i need you to sign by now again buyers aren't stupid they'll go well that's cool i know what you're under pressure to do fine yeah, yeah. and because you're behaving very self-centered i'll behave self-centered back and i'll wait until you're right up to your your time and guess what we'll go to negoti negotiation then that's whereas it's just a whole different i think it's a whole different um tone and feeling and the way in which people operate if we're operating on this genuine kind of mutual benefit mutual benefit platform mm, yeah okay really interesting and i think this is the topic that we can we can debate on for hours and hours on end this is probably something that's more suited to clubhouse and actually if anyone <laughs> watching this thinks that you know they would benefit from a session where we actually talk about something like that and fred and i and maybe we'll invite a few more experts um then then let us know in the in the in the uh, discussion um, uh, and post that and we can actually set up a, a clubhouse uh, session where we can talk about this because I think this is a really important topic because at one end you're having this pressure from your, from your leaders and the other end you know you've got to kind of adhere to the buyer's process and make them feel comfortable as well so let's talk about those that, that'll things. go long into the night and I'll tell uh, you that, what you'll probably get me ranting on that one yeah, <laughs> I've had some frustrating experiences around that no. but yeah let's let's concentrate on the matter in hand <laughs> I agree yeah <laughs> uh, so let's start with the first of the six it's a topic that's dear to my heart it's the subject of a huge amount of research that I've done and I love to hear other people's opinion on this uh, and you talk about trust. So, and, and you were, you're, you're deliberate in having that as the first of the six. So talk to me about 
trust um, from your perspective and you know what does that mean to how you become this partnering uh, partnering salesperson as opposed to the traditional salesperson sure so yeah the six elements of pq um i mean originally they were they were researched back in the late 80s early 90s a guy called steve dent and so you know this isn't something i've just made up one afternoon yes yeah, sat in the garden it's it, it's been validated it's been verified there's been decent research into this mm. um around around organizations that were partnering um you know, big formal alliances, the kind of, you know, airlines coming together. That, that's where he was working. And then sort of he, he looked at those and looked at what what stuff, what 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 were people like who were involved in these? Because his big thing, and, and this is one I absolutely subscribe to, is that organizations don't partner. People do. It's down to the people that are involved in those deals and those relationships. Mm. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, he identified these six elements. And for me, I do always talk about trust first. I mean, they, they all they all come together anyway. They all work together. And they're all kind of, you know, interconnected, as you can imagine. But you have to talk about them sequentially. You can't talk about them all at once. So I, I do always kick off with trust because I just see it as the foundation, the foundation for communication, foundation for relationships. If there's any one that underpins all the other, it is trust. And so that, that's kind of why I, I, I kick off on that one. And and you know find it fascinating to, to look at look at the elements of trust you know what 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 makes it work how does it happen what can we do deliberately to try to build trust because that's the whole point of the pq it's about doing stuff deliberately doing stuff consciously because if we do that affects how we you know our mindset and then that can feed into our behaviors the stuff we are doing day in day out with customers Mm, okay. that then affects our results because we do everything better <laughs> so yeah the, the the trust piece is is so important for me that's why I, I kick off on it so let's dive into that how how do you deliberately establish and create and build trust again i try to keep stuff nice and simple i mean I, that's why i wanted to speak to you because i heard you speak about it, so that your model with the the eight now eight isn't it the eight the eight parts i i love the trust equation just because of its simplicity but a very very powerful part of it um and so you know the trust equation it's trust equals um credibility reliability and intimacy divided by self-orientation yeah so the first bits of that are easy you know credibility yeah do you know your stuff okay yeah most sales people will try to understand what they do understand customers all that kind of thing yeah great reliability do you say what you're going to do yeah Okay, fine. Nothing massively new here. Intimacy. Mm. Are, is what people say to you and the information they share and you know how they might kind of open up to you, is that safe? Do they feel as though they're in a good pair of hands? Now we're starting to get a little bit more um, more kind of interesting, if you like, because this this is this is tougher and to, and to portray that and to, to really act that um, becomes a lot more important that's interesting intimacy almost requires vulnerability right so when you talked about that safe pair of hands for me to become very close with someone there's the saying that you kind of have to almost open yourself up to some sort of vulnerability as well to really tr create that true kind of close connection i, I think it does it's a two-way street isn't it because what you're asking a customer to do is to be quite vulnerable to give you quite intimate you know quite quite close quite sensitive information yeah but if you're not willing to share that back then there's a kind of well, you know, why should I? And, and this this is reflected in one of the one of the elements a little bit a little bit later down the line. 
Um, but you know, th those elements, you know, probably not massively new. Salesperson might be listening to this and going, yeah, you know, credibility, reliability, intimacy, I'm good with all that stuff. Sure. These are are um are presented in the form of an equation. So these are all over self-orientation. So divided by self-orientation. In other words, are you doing all that stuff with your best intent? So with your best interests at heart or the customers? Yeah. So it's all about intent. It's all about why are you doing this stuff? And if you're only doing it for yourself, then that brings, if you imagine it as a number, it brings the number down. You know, the, the trust that you're building will not be as strong as if, no, I am genuinely doing this because I care about the other party. That's why I want to know my stuff. That's why I'll do what I'll say I'll do. That's why I will be safe and secure with your information. Because I want you to get to get the, the, the better part of this, if you like. That 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 for me is the, is the, such the clever part of the of the of the equation, if you like, in that you've got to be doing it with somebody else's in, intentions, someone's interests, sorry, um, at the heart while you're doing it. That, that, yeah, I, I agree with you. That's the really interesting part of this. So, so how can you practically do that? So is it, is it simply a question of, you know, credibility? I've got to know my stuff. I've got to do my homework. Or have you found that there are certain, do you have any examples of some really powerful ways of being able to practically apply and do those things, um, even if it's just mindset or approach or belief? I, I think I mean, we kind of this is where the stuff is so interconnected and we move into the kind of the next one if I can which is the yeah, win -win yeah, focus yeah. which win-win focus because if you really understand what the other party wants what's mm -hmm. important to them what are they trying to get out of it how do they benefit why should they want to get involved in, in a partnership relationship deal whatever you want to call it then you can start to think about that and base what you're doing around well that's going to help them achieve that but that, that for me is the sort of the way to, this is why it's, you know, they're so interesting the way they're interconnected. It's if you don't get what they want, if you don't understand that, well, then it's going to be really tricky for you to be effective in applying that kind of other orientation, if you like, you know, thinking about the, the other party. Yeah. That, that's where that comes, comes into play. So yeah, you can do all your own stuff. Great. You know, you can be really, really self-centered and you get the first, the first part of trust right, but we've got to understand what other people are trying to achieve from the relationship if you like interesting yeah so so the big part of that is understanding what is a win for them what is valuable for them and seeing how you can provide that whilst giving yourself a win as well absolutely so yeah that that's that the second part win-win focus which then starts to have an impact on you know practically speaking it's you know how we have discussions you know are are we if we come to a point of conflict and we probably will you know, most relationships do yeah. how do we deal with that you know is it a sort of like kids getting all petulant throwing toys or is it well let's have a let's have a decent discussion because we know what we're both trying to achieve out of this you know let's let's step back and and discuss things in that way so, so it's not just the kind of we, we always talk about win-win should always talk about win-win in selling in that yeah it's got to be sort of um mutual gain if you like but it's how how we can then use that to impact on our behavior and the way that we operate uh, to keep the relationship going. Yeah, that, that's, that, that, that's what I take from, from that bit. Yeah, interesting. Okay. And, and so, one other bit while we're on win, no, just while I'm thinking about win-win, one other bit is that it can tip too far. Some salespeople tip too far towards the customer. They have no self-orientation at all. It's totally the other party. They give it everything away and you end up with a lose-win. Yeah. 
<laughs> so actually, it's a non, it's not a sustainable relationship because the customers think, well, this is great. And they don't realize that you're not getting out of it what you want. And not often that's financial, isn't it, from a sales point of view. But from any relationship point of view, if you're not getting what you want, again, it's not sustainable. So you've got to be looking for the balance in that. That's that's the sort of the key part, I think, that that, that teaches us. So it's interesting you mentioned that because I was going to go down that, that, that route uh, for my next question, but I want to take it a bit further. What happens when you have a client that's been working with you for a while, but something happens on their side, whether it's change in the buyer, the senior level buyer, or the person you have the relationship with, or it's the same person, but something has changed where now they become more demanding. And what I mean by demanding is not just that they're asking you for more, it's that that dynamic is shifting more towards the buyer. And the buyer is either overtly or indirectly intimating that if you don't do this, we're not gonna have a relationship anymore. So you, you're seeing that that relationship is now shifting more towards the buyer. You don't want to lose the account because that's going to hit your numbers and you probably have pressure from your manager to do everything you can to keep that account. What do you do in a situation like that? Can you remember the old advert um, for British Telecom, I think it was back in the day? It's good to talk. That oh, yeah. was the kind of catch line that they did. And then that's kind of the sort of, again, the sort of the simple answer to that is like talk. Yeah. yeah, understand what's happened. Why Why have they become like that? There'll be something that's going on. They might well be under some kind of pressure. You know, there's, there's, there's something that's made that happen. What, what's that trigger been? Now, ideally, you'd be that close to them, you'd have seen this thing coming and we'd have been talking about it before and we'd have been able to sort of respond before it happens. You know, get your retaliation in first. We, we sometimes say in the, in the rugby world, <laughs> which doesn't really make any sense, but, you know, <laughs> ex-players will know what I mean by, or current players will know what I mean by that. But it's it, it's just find out, you know, what, what's happened there? What's gone on? You know, we've got a nice balance. Everything was going well. Something has happened. And, you know, how can we do something about it? Um, like I say, I think ideally you wouldn't let it get that far. Um, you would be sort of having, you know, practical, let's talk practical, practical point of view, you'd be having regular sessions, you know, sort of which are, which are talking to get feedback. And that is another of the elements of PQ, self-disclosure and feedback. So getting feedback from them um, just around, you know, how are we doing here? How is the relationship working? You know, how do they feel about the value that they are they're getting from us not oh these are my slas i said i would deliver 98 percent on time i've done 98.5 haven't i done well can i have a you know well done badge or whatever you get for them no well, that's what you said you'd do it's not not impressive yeah it's yeah, i'm talking about qbrs i you know, <laughs> quarterly business reviews which badly done they're just they're just pointless but well done they can open up that discussion around where are we going with this? What are we doing well? So we want to do more of that. But if stuff isn't right, let's nip it in the bud. Let's make sure that we can do well. Or if there's things which are going to change, let's try and foresee these together. Mm. Yeah? If you want to really impress, it's look at their world and say, I see these things coming on your horizon. Do we need to do stuff about it? Now you're really talking about impressive selling. If you're future scoping for them, you, you, you put yourself so much in their shoes, their organization, understand them, their drivers, what they're trying to achieve, that you can lead that conversation. They'll be like, wow, 
you know, why would we ever want to speak to anybody else? <laughs> you know, who do you work for, us or them? Well, yeah, good question. Or for both. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because of interdependence, which is another element of PQ. So, yeah. <laughs> this is why I love it as a model. When I saw it, I just thought, this just talks to me. Talks to me about any salesperson in any situation. Right. Complex. I mean, yes, for more complex, sophisticated sales, works very well. But even quite a sort of a more basic sale, if you're using this as your as your um your ethos it's still good it's not going to do you any harm mm. Mm. that's so interesting let's let's talk about the next one then um i don't know which one we're on i just keep jumping around them because you can't help it actually i think you know when you're starting to unpack it in the way that we're doing here well i, I think they're so as you say they're so interrelated that of course you're going to be moving around because you you're seeing the connections as well because you've been living and breathing this for so long um, so, so don't worry, I, you know, I'm so fascinated by how these are all interlinked. So let's talk about the next one, right? Self-disclosure and feedback. This one really, really interested me. Tell, tell us more about that. Yeah, no, so we, we, we started to touch on this. So let's, let's kind of you know, go, go back to the beginning on that one. So self-disclosure and feedback, the self-disclosure bit, uh, you used the word vulnerability already. And there is an element of that in it. It's giving a bit about yourself. It's saying, yeah, this is what we're about. This is how we work. This is how I am. Yeah. There is a more hard nose to it as well, because a lot of people say, oh, vulnerability, authenticity. Oh, yeah. No, it's bloody important, let's face it. But, okay, if you need the hard nose version of it, it's this is what we need from the deal. These right. are our expectations. If we don't get this, it is not worth it. If you, if you want to go down the pure kind of, you know, logical, black, white, you know, blue thinker type mode. But is that something but, you communicate to the buyer or is that for your self-reflection? Why not? Why, why wouldn't you? Unless, unless they've got highly tuned ESP, how are they necessarily going to know what good looks like from your side of the deal? But what if you come across yeah. a buyer that just says, so you might come across, so my instinct now is if, if someone was to do that, there might be two, two scenarios here that the buyer would feel or think. Mm -hmm. Number one, I don't care about your side, which is a very real situation, by the way. There are a lot of buyers that will just instinctively think, well, I don't care about your side, right? That's not important to me. Yeah. And, and there might be an element of that depending on where in the sales process you decide to bring something like that up. If you bring that at the beginning, then obviously that's a little premature. But then there's a second side to that where you expose that to the buyer and it's almost as if you're giving them... Um, you're giving them a way to either manipulate or because they have a bit more information, they know what strings to pull now in order to negotiate you down, for example. Fine. Um, it, it, okay, so if, is that how they're going to behave? Doesn't, that, sound, yeah. doesn't sound like much of a partnership to me. Yeah. That doesn't sound like a fair balance. It doesn't sound as though that's ever going to be win-win. Yeah. If that's how their brain is wired, yes, they might have money, authority, need, you know, they've got the time, they've got the competition, whichever Bant, Medic, Scotsman, mnemonic you want to use. Mm. But when you start to qualify on a psychological level, it's going to be very difficult to apply your collaboration skills, your partnering skills, and to work in this mutually beneficial way if they're going to revert back to type and if they're going to go all 90s on you. It does take two to tango. So actually, you might be doing yourself a favor by finding that out early on and going, okay, so if that is what it's going to be like, is it really an opportunity? And it's, so I'm talking about qualifying out, and we know that it's very, very hard for salespeople to do that. 
Right. But if we're if we're serious about this and that we want these decent, long term, very fruitful relationships, we need to find this stuff out. Mm. And when when do you when is the right time for a salesperson to share such information? What are the key? Um, I, I I think it's continually. So the the sooner that we can start to talk about that and start to sort of indicate, look, we are in this together. It's got to be win win. Mm. You don't necessarily use this language, but you know it's got to be win win. Of course, you know people will understand there's a commercial side and and a, things that salespeople need to achieve, you know, just as they have. So, you know, I, I'm I'm quite a fan of of salespeople talking to customers about what are your KPIs. Yes, that's a, that's an easy question actually. I'm not saying what are your deep psychological drivers. You know, what are your <laughs> what are the motivators that are right down on the inside of your your your, your, your psyche, your being um it's nice to understand that stuff but it's like what are your kpis what are you measured on okay cool well yeah that's that's good i measured on this stuff so yeah i know we can make it work well, it's, it's, it, i i think that the biggest blocker on that conversation is the salesperson themselves just feeling as though they they're not allowed they can't talk about it they've got to keep it secret they've got to hide this stuff away right the the, the more we open it up and we're having this kind of conversation about look, we're in this together this is how it's got to look i think the more fruitful it's going to be Interesting. And it's, it's interesting you mentioned that relinquished control, um, because I feel that that's almost a thread connecting to the next one, which is comfort with interdependence. Sure. Let's just, just before we jump onto that one, the other part of the self-disclosure and feedback yeah. is another part that salespeople can find difficult. So we talked already about getting feedback. You know, how are we doing here? You know, talk to us about you know, what we can do better, all that good stuff we have to give feedback as well. Yeah. So, and, and often I know a salesperson can find that tricky. So what I mean by this is we've had the conversation, we've talked about what win-win looks like. I need this, you need this, all very good. We're going to work in this way. Happy days. Yeah, this relationship's set up for success. Yeah. As it starts to pan out, it doesn't happen. So some say the salesperson has got to say to the customer, hey, look, Again, not necessarily these words, but hey, look, this isn't what we've signed up for. You know, you agreed to be doing this stuff while we're doing this stuff. Mm. So while you're not doing it, I can't do my side as well. It could, it could be something as simple as sharing information or you know, letting me understand what you guys are trying to achieve. You know, if you, if you, you climb up on me, if you don't give me this, I can't help you. You've got to help me to help you. So sometimes we've got to say to customers, look, you know, you're not doing your part of the deal. And so it's you are... Yeah, moving on to the next, you know, you, you are you are stopping all of our chances for success, and, and some salespeople find it a very difficult conversation to have with the customer. Oh, we can't, we can't say that to them. They're the customer, they're always right. No, they're not right. If they've said they're going to do something in a certain way, that's what we've agreed to do. That's how the relationship is panning out. That's what the journey looks like. And then they don't play their part. Could be they don't realise. So actually, given that feel, oh, we didn't realise. Sorry, we thought we were being good here. Or it could be now that no, we are being. <laughs> so yeah, that, that 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 that's a quite an important piece that um, is worth underlining from the feedback side. That, that, that's you know you know this is really interesting because we're halfway through this PQ model, and there are three things that seem to be screaming out at me here, which is self worth, maturity, and mm -hmm. empathy. Yeah, and it seems like if you have those three things, 
everything that you just described, I mean, this is my perspective, so I'd really like to hear your perspective on this, but, you know, everything you've described there, it seems that those are the three things that are core, or at least as a, as a character or trait that's really required and, and, and core and important to the salesperson. You've got to have self-worth, not just yeah. in yourself, but in your product and your solution and how important it is, how valuable it is. You need to have maturity because the way you just described that example there, that takes a lot of maturity, right? And, and then the final one is empathy, right? It, it is empathy for them. It is empathy for yourself almost in some way, which is kind of yeah. tied to self-worth, but empathy for how the, the relationship of the two of you is going to look like, how that's going to feel, how that's going to stand out in the world. Yeah. Um, yeah. Those are my thoughts. That's what I've observed from what you've described so far. I often, when people say to me, oh, what's all this PQ about? I often set it up as, well, you know, IQ and EQ, it's like the lesser known cousin. Right. And I would say it's a closer cousin to EQ than it is IQ. It's yeah. closer to emotional intelligence because you need those things. I describe them very bluntly. I appreciate that. That's just for illustration on a podcast so people can get it. You would not use that same language I used. Well, you might do. It depends on the trends on the social style of the person you're talking to. I guess some people say, oh, that's fine. I didn't realize we were big idiots. Oh, cool. Right. We'll sort that. <laughs> a driver would love it. Others, you might need to tone down and adapt a bit. But in yeah. principle, that is the stuff that is part and parcel of applying your partnering skills. Really interesting. Really interesting. So let's talk about the, ne the next one, um, which is comfort with interdependence. That is precisely why we are having those conversations because we are interdependent. Our success is going to be based on other success in one word and on other people being involved in doing things. You know, selling isn't getting simpler, is it? <laughs> yeah, selling is getting more complex. Even simple sales are becoming more complex and complex sales becoming even more complex and more people in decision-making units and more elements to consider and elements of risk now and commercial variables and lots going on here. So more people are going to be involved. So the, the good old-fashioned salesperson who sits himself at the middle of the bow tie going, no, no, all information comes through me. You know, I'm the... I'm the account manager, my account, you know, all that language. Yeah. They're not going to be successful because they're going to have to give up elements of control. Yeah, that's what that's what you said earlier. So it's like, as in, well, you know, that's what you said you're going to do. I'm going to have to trust you on it. Trust. Yeah. I'm going to have to recognize that that is something that you're expert in and, and you need to do. I need my team. This, this is 360, this stuff. You know, I need my team to help me on this. They've got to come on board. They've got to understand what's going on. And somebody that isn't comfortable in, sort of giving up control if, if you know, from that point of view is going to struggle in this more modern environment everything cannot come through them it's just it's, it's inefficient and effective and uh that just won't work <laughs> basically that, that that's how i see the the interdependence element coming into play in uh, in modern selling yeah and there's, there's a book by uh, ken blanchard it's quite a well-known book called the one minute manager uh which actually talks or at least gives a scenario and story about it, something like this but what you described sounds to me like the skills and the approach of a scaling entrepreneur, right? You know, you, mm -hmm. you start out with your baby, your business, it's, it's all you and you're the one in the thick of it. It's all done in your way and your language and through your passion. But if you want to scale and make this business something that has bigger impact, you almost kind of have to relinquish control 
to people that you know actually can do it better and have the time to do it may not be something you fully control and it's less it might feel like less of your baby but if you are going to grow as a business and actually as a person and a leader you're going to have to learn to relinquish control to a team that are going to be able to support you and it sounds like what you've described is very similar to that yeah yeah people are going to do it better maybe because they're going to do it differently and they're going to do different things that's tough I wouldn't do it like that. Okay, do it yourself. But you can't do it all yourself. So you're going to have to let people do it their way. And and really coming back to them, focusing on the results. So this interdependence, because our success, our mutual success is based on this. Let's look at the results. Okay, as long as everyone is doing their thing to contribute to it, collaborating, then, you know, we're we're on the right track. And we've got to be comfortable with that. Because you say, it is is frightening. It's a bit scary. It is. It is. But actually, do you know what? There's, there's a great benefit to this. And, and the way I saw it, and I, I went through this transition, as you described it, right? Um, in order for me to grow, I had to realize that I needed to relinquish control to the people that, quite frankly, can do the job better than I can. But you know what I found out later on was that actually that freed up my time to do the things, to have the relationship with the client that I was more interested in. I was able to have the more strategic level yep. discussion, right? I was no longer talking about technical things. I was talking about the relationship and business partnership element, which is how is, how is the business going right now? How is this relationship going? Tell me about your business because I'm seeing certain things here. You know, it looks like you're taking the business in a different direction. What does that mean to the future? And you know what? A, you're going to feel better about having those conversations because they're seen as higher level discussions. Yeah. B, you're going to be able to spot both risks and potential opportunities because you're, you're looking at it from a 30,000 foot level rather than going into, you're separating the woods from the, the wood from the trees here. That's how, I, that's how I saw it. So actually there's a benefit to relinquishing control. You're taking back more control of the more exciting element of yeah. the relationship. Yeah, the no, no, no. improve your sales. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, you've experienced that. You know, as a founder, but you know, I'm an employee. You know, I'm an account manager. Okay, well, are you a tactical account manager? Are you going to run around getting invoices processed through the system? You're going to get something from the warehouse, put it in the boot of your car, go and deliver it. And there's other people who can do that. Or are you going to be talking to senior people in that account about, as you say, where they're going strategically? You know, the direction, the three, five year kind of aims they've got and, and going well we can help with that stuff we've got an impact yeah. I, I think that's more fun as well you know and, and you know thought ambitious people would be wanting to take that track and and this this is a route to it you're right absolutely yeah hard though yeah it's, it's hard on the first instance well, that's the stuff i usually do and i know how to do it and i know how to do it <laughs> yeah, yeah it's true you know what if you're going to grow you better get comfortable with discomfort right growth happens. yeah 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 <laughs> right so um and, and that's a nice segue <laughs> to the next one, which is... Uh, oh, you're uh, a pro. <laughs> you like that? <laughs> I didn't even realise it was the next one. <laughs> that's how cool it was. Okay, edit this, so we just segue straight in. <laughs> yeah, let, let, <laughs> so let's, let's go straight to it. You know, comfort with change. I really want to hear your thoughts on this one, because this one was, this one's one of the more interesting ones for me personally when I looked at the six. Yeah, change hasn't slowed down, has it? <laughs> Change is a constant, or is it? Was that Herak, Herak, 
I know who it was. I can't say his name. It's Heraclius or somebody like that. Right. Change is constant. Oh, the, yeah, the, 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 Greek, the Greek philosopher Herak. We'll put it in the notes. <laughs> but no, change is constant. You know, it's always going to be there. Um, so that's something that, is a, as a salesperson, you can understand. You can then help your customers with. Right. However. We've just spoken about it again. You know, you are going to be going through some changes of things that you're going to have to do differently. Change is going to affect you. Mm. If you're not comfortable with it, if you can't adapt to it, if you can't work with it, what right have you got to be talking to anybody else about it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm a salesperson. I challenge the status quo. And that, every salesperson should understand that that is part of their job. Mm. Yeah. That's, that's our biggest competitor normally, <laughs> that people just carry on doing the same. So I'm going to get you, Mr. Customer, to change this, do that, apply this, here's something. I'm not going to do anything different, though. I'm going to carry on doing stuff my old way. It, it's just, it doesn't give you any, any leg to stand on. And to be fair, you won't do a good job of helping people to understand themselves if you don't understand it from your point of view. Right. So that, that, that's, that's why I think this comes in as such an important part. You know, we are change drivers as salespeople. So we've got to practice what we preach and then understand, you know, to a degree how it works and what can we do to help people. So how do you advise salespeople to get comfortable with change? Because understandably, it's something that people irrationally fear. So how do you, how do you advise salespeople to understand change and, and to get comfortable with it? First thing, as I say, change is constant, like a Greek philosopher mate said <laughs> um, and on a basic level I mean actually it's a really powerful tool is just think about the change curve you know mm. think about Kubler-Ross type curve where it's people will go through these different phases of change and people will go and everyone goes through them but we all go through stuff at different uh, different pace so you know COVID is a good example of seeing this stuff um, in action you know, I can, I'll talk about myself on this one. It's sort of, you know, when it, when it first first came about, well, obviously, yeah, I just ignored it. It wasn't real. Not me. I, I went to the gym until the very last minute and we were told not to. It just, it wasn't a real thing. I was just, yeah. no. Yeah. Then I got really angry about it. Yeah, went through that part of the change curve. You know, and they're just, oh, this is, <laughs> they're angry. It's really inconsiderate. You know, what, what, what? <laughs> people dying and I'm like, oh, I've changed all my business plans. <laughs> you know, it's a bit pathetic really when you look back at it. Yeah, but luckily I actually then managed to come out of that sort of dip the curve gives us and through the acceptance and into opportunity very, very quickly mm. because I realized, you know what? Stuff needs to change here. Practice what you preach, Fred. Stop being an idiot, yeah? And get your head around this and be in a position to lead your customers, lead your, lead, you know, your clients because they are going to need how to, they're going to need to understand how to do this stuff. So get your head around virtual very, very fast, both delivering in it, training people in it, yeah? VUCA, understand VUCA, volatility, uncertainty, complexity, ambiguity. That is a world that we're now living in. How can salespeople talk to customers about that? How can they use the right language? How can they come up with the countermeasures? So, you know, I, I yeah, and just use myself as the example, I think it's the fairest one to use. Understood the curve, pushed myself through it, got to the it is opportunity phase um, and equip myself to work like that. But importantly, 
I didn't then go and force that on people because they will be going through at their own pace, like I said. So, yeah, I'm seeing it as opportunity. Somebody who is still shocked or angry or really kind of depressed about it, they don't need me raving, going, oh, come on, look at this. It's great. We can change things. We can do stuff. We can chat in different ways. We can get a competitive advantage. <sighs> right. Big mismatching communication there. So it's, right, okay, I've got the stuff that we can do, but I need to slow down and talk to people in in the mode that they're at to help them through it and to then bring them into the you know, position where we can now do stuff effectively together. So you're saying so, 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 so it's not a kind of it's not the Fred Coat State show, but it's just like for me, it just strokes me as if I'm going to talk about this stuff, I have to use myself as an example sometimes. No, no, um, that was a great example. And the biggest takeaway I got for me was you know, understand where they are on that yeah. change curve, right? Are they in denial stage, anger, you know, bargaining, yeah. uh, depression, and, and then kind of acceptance and then opportunity, right? So understanding where other people are on that curve yeah. um, will help you communicate the right things and almost empathize with them and you know show yeah. them that you understand that and then move them to the next stage because like, you're absolutely right and i never really thought about it this way but you're absolutely right because a lot of people reach a certain stage that's ahead of others yeah. but they kind of almost expect and this is where the self-centered element comes in yeah. they yeah. expect people to kind of come on board because they're on board leaders are the worst um culprits of this actually um well at least some leaders are they're, they're probably because they're change initiators they get it they see opportunity they move with it which is why they're leaders you know and then there will be people who are who are, are slower at it you know and will resist it even and still push back you know it doesn't it's not real it doesn't exist you know they're in that kind of denial phase forever a lot of people for about everything um so yeah it's you know, it was quite interesting when when I really started practicing what I preach. Though I'd got the answers, <laughs> some answers, I don't know the answer to everything, but you know, things that were clear to me of what people need to do. If they're in angry phase, Fred, don't stop, <laughs> don't stop telling them what to do. Go into council mode almost. Yeah, be the sounding board. Let them rant. Let them rave. Let them do whatever. Let them feel better, and then start to offer a bit of a light at the end of the tunnel. So it's, again, it's about that, that sensitivity to others and you know, high emotional intelligence, like you said before, to to re be able to react and, and then help people in the way they need helping at that time. Interesting. Okay. So that was really interesting. I, yeah. I'm glad that we covered that. It was one that I was really looking forward to discussing. It, it's, yeah, th there are plenty of change models you know, you can look at Cotter, you look at freeze, unfreeze, refreeze, and, and all those which are useful and, and you know, good understanding. But actually, for me, I keep going back to change curve because I like simple stuff. <laughs> simple stuff done well trumps really flashy stuff that you don't quite get or you, you mess up, you know? I agree. Changes emotion. And as salespeople, we're, we're, we're terrible for that. Oh, nice new shiny things. Let's go and do all this. No, let's, do, let's get basics right. <laughs> let's get a good solid foundation. Totally agree. And look, change is emotional, right? You know, mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. put any logical framework you want to it, but it's emotional at the end of the day. Yeah. Whether someone does it or wants to do it or not, there's an emotional reason. It's just like most decisions, actually. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about the final one, future orientation. Uh, talk, talk to us about that. Yeah, so future orientation, um, yeah, a number of elements to it is, again, as you can imagine, ideally, in the partnership, we know where we're going. 
you know, we have this vision, we have this goal, we've got this thing that we're aspiring to, and that's going to inform how we work, you know, how we put our plans together, how we decide to collaborate. It'll give us that, it'll give us that direction. Um, and, and so that, 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 that's one element of it. The element that, that I often talk to salespeople about that was, you know, as well as that is the part around decision-making. Because we can have this wonderful vision, we can sort of put all this stuff together and, you know, decide this is where we're going. And then as we come down to the practicality of it, you know, the actual proper to do's, we make decisions based on past experience. I'm not saying that's totally a wrong thing. Yeah, of course, we're going to use elements of it. But when you relate it 100% back to that, it makes no sense. Because it'd be like, oh, we can't do that never worked before. No, but things weren't the same then. You know, it's oh, we, we, we can't sell by video. Well, we can, but that's a different thing. But you know, can't sell by video. Well, you haven't got a choice. You have to at the moment. <laughs> you know, or the technology was rubbish when you tried it last time. When was that? Oh, it was twenty years ago. Right. Okay. When a you know web web conference <laughs> suite was the size of a car. You know, <laughs> it's like kind of. Um, so yeah, I, I think the really interesting part in that is not just the sort of vision that you're sort of aspiring to and how you can align to it and all look towards it. It's it's making that decision not wholly based on the kind of the good old days, rose-tinted spectacle stuff. It's uh, let's do it looking forwards and sort of keep ourselves moving forwards. That that that's where I like with that thing. It's you know keep advancing, keep moving forward, keep moving towards where we want to be rather than we are or were. But that's kind of what comes out of that for me. So the big thing for me, the big question there is what, what happens when you do come across someone where they are kind of stuck in the past and, um, you know, what you said is neurologically uh, correct, which is, you know, we, we base our interpretation of the world around us on the foundation of past experience and conditioning and knowledge because yep, yep. You know, our brain needs that for the contextual elements to translate what that means. Now, obviously, that leaves a gap in terms of a lot of the time, not a lot of times, but there's a big chance that your perception is incorrect because it's based on past experience and conditioning, which may also be incomplete. But how, what do you do with someone who doesn't seem to be future orientated, who doesn't seem to want to think in that way or they're stuck in the past that actually cause them so much hurt that it's very hard for them to do so? Um, I mean, again, a simple tactical way of doing this is play let's pretend. Right. <laughs> let's pretend that we can do these things what would it be like mm. and then we find that the stuff we're pretending we can actually do it's not even pretend but by framing it like that you can actually have that conversation um in a, in a more positive manner so yeah okay accept that totally get it because as you said it is true it's their, it's their reality but let's pretend that we we could do that when, when, we're, when we're sort of doing creative thinking and brainstorming and, and trying to generate ideas i will often having done the first round of you know how can we approach this you know people kind of think in their normal rut don't they yeah okay okay this is cool I like these ideas these are good but Taylor, let's spice it up a little bit what would harry potter do and everyone kind of looks you go what are you on about do you all know harry potter yeah come on. what's harry potter's wizard right so he's magic so he can do stuff yeah that we can't so if harry potter was trying to solve this problem what would he be doing Oh, he's like put on his invisibility cloak and sneak up on people. And then, okay, right. So can, can we translate that into real life? 
hoity to a magic spell and make all the competitors go away. Okay, right. Well, what can we do to make that happen in real life? Can't do magic, but we could make something that makes our offer so compelling that actually nobody is in competition with us. So you can you can just sort of stimulate thinking a little bit just to nudge folk out of the uh, out of the rut that they think in sometimes mm -hmm. or their, their habitual thinking pattern. Yeah, that's that's good pattern interrupts. That's yeah. And and thinking hats. Thinking hats is is another old goodie. Mm. You know, it's been around for ages. The Bono's thinking hats. You know, let's put the different color hats on. Because wow. sometimes the, the the backward thinking can be a bit negative, can be a bit black hat. So again, having explained to people the different colors and the sort of the different ways of thinking it's trying to stimulate. So this is great. No, no, this is brilliant. I admire your what if thinking. Yeah, get it. You know, devil's advocate, top man. But tell me, let's let's, pretend, let, let's all put yellow hat on. Let's all be really positive about it. Right. Yeah. Falsely positive, if you like. Over positive. Let's just. Why are we so brilliant in our idea? Let's just big ourselves up, because we will come back to the black. Yeah. So again, you can you can you can play with the different hats and sort of the red kind of stimulate. Yeah. You know, how emotionally? How do we feel about that? That's a biggie. You know, we talked about emotions already. Yeah. We'll probably start with white. What do we know? What facts and figures have we got? So again, just using a model to to break thinking patterns, I think works works pretty well. Whether you use that again overtly saying this is a thinking cat model, this is how it works, pass out little hats to people. I mean, I've seen that done. It's it's really cool actually. It's quite good fun. Or using your facilitation skills to move everybody. Let's all think like this. Let's all think like this. Let's all think like this. That's yeah. how we can uh, we can practically move yeah, help people with their mental agility if they if they're a bit if they're a bit stuck with it. Yeah, and, and I'm 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 especially a fan of the the hats, you know, the hat model, because uh, you know I spent six years helping advise chief R and D officers around innovation, and they would regularly use that kind of model. Yeah, uh, but but this what you describe, if you are going to do that with a client, it sounds like you know you can't do that unless you've done the previous five things, because you've got to create such a deep relationship with them that they're willing to play that game with you. Yeah. If you're going to be handing out little toy hats. Um. <laughs> but even asking them something like, let's just all be positive about that, right? I mean, even with, yeah. if someone's especially feeling like they don't want to be positive, right? they, 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 you know, they will find a way to kind of push back on that. But if it's, if it's with someone that you seem to um, have a good relationship yeah. with and someone that you trust, then, uh, you know, I, what I'm saying is you can't do that with someone where you haven't built any relationship, you haven't built that kind of intimacy with. Oh, you can't rock into a meeting, however good your elevator pitch in the first 30 seconds, and then, you know, dish out this thing and say, right, I'm going to ask you some questions, but you need to be answering me in this way. It's like, whoa, no, hang on a minute. But as you say, when you know them and you know how to do that, you can read them because you have the baseline, you've calibrated them as to, yeah, guess what, Moe's a bit grumpy today. Actually, it's probably not in a good day for having this discussion, but because we do meet pretty regularly, because we've got a decent partnership here, then yeah, yeah, forget it. I'll do it a different day. In fact, let's find out why he's grumpy. Let's see if I can help on that level, because that'll be far more useful and far more resourceful for the whole relationship anyway. That's interesting. Like, hey, the, the 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 sales faltered for a day. Big deal. Our relationship's got way better though. So, good investment of time, I'd say. That is really interesting because sometimes sometimes it's a personal matter and. Um, yeah, that, yeah, again, that takes a lot of maturity as well as empathy to do something like that. Yeah. 
How inconsiderate that you're in a bad mood today when it's nearly the end of the month and I was trying to close a deal. I can't believe it. <laughs> exactly. You know, and it is, it's, again, if we go back to that one, but it's, yeah, it is. It, 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 there's, a, there's a huge maturity in it and understanding that that's the right thing to do. You know, we, we have our primary and secondary objectives for meetings. You know what, in this case, forget them. Different route, different routes. That's the right thing to do at this stage. So this, I'm conscious of time when we're, we're getting close to time and, and, and Fred. Uh, I'll talk about it all day. You know that. <laughs> exactly, yeah, exactly. And maybe we should invite you for another session, actually, because, uh, and if you're open to it, uh, we'd love to of do Of course, I'd love to. I'd love to. Great. And, and um, you know, I've learned a ton here. Um, and so thank you so much. I've got a couple of questions I want to ask you. Mm. Number one. What do you feel is the biggest barrier or difficulty for someone to be able to apply your PQ model in their sales business? The biggest barrier to applying it? Um, themselves. <laughs> I don't, again, it sounds like some of my answers are a bit flippant, but I honestly believe that because I don't, I don't think that is a barrier. Um, there is... It, it's a way of thinking. Yeah, there might be external factors in that, you know, you're, I can't see what, why would a, why would a sales manager, sales director say, no, you cannot think in this way. You can't be modern. You can't be more effective in your approach. I mean, if that's mm. the barrier. That's a completely different um, thing, but it's, it's, it's kind of knowing how to do it. And I think if you start to understand PQ, if you start to break those things down, like we've been doing and start to think about them practically, understand where you are on each of these, um, then you should be able to shift shift your barriers, you know. But when when I say yourselves, you know, it, it, we've always done it this way, or I've always done it this way. I'm comfortable doing it this way, um, you know. Breaking out your own comfort zone, that that is probably probably the barrier. But um, I mean, now is the time. If there's ever there's a time where you can make a change because you really need to, I would say that it's, it's probably now where you can it's worth investing that time because it, it is a modern approach and it's one that can only serve you well in this current climate. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. That, that's, a, that's a really, really interesting answer that you gave. Can we, um, can we pop in the show notes a link to a PQ audit? I'm, I'm very happy for because, you know, you and I both want salespeople to, to, to develop, to get as good as they possibly can. You know, that's, that's why we like talking to each other. We're on the same page there. So if we, if we give a link to the audit, it's, it's free to take, you know, just pop in your email address because you need to then get the results back, sent back to you. Um, it'll ask you a bunch of questions and it'll give you the sort of little breakdown of those six things, how you're scoring on each of them yeah. um, and some reflective questions to Absolutely. try to break those, to try to break those barriers. So if we, if we pop that in, people are very, very welcome to, to take that. It's what I use in training, but hey, that's, We'll share yeah, with everyone absolutely. else. Absolutely. <laughs> Let's add that in there. That, that's yeah. that's going to help out a lot of the viewers. So, yeah, for sure. Um, so, uh, penultimate question. Um, which two books do you feel every salesperson should read and know? And well, why? there's only one left on the list because clearly mine. But... <laughs> <laughs> Um, which two, two, two more? Two more on Two top. more, which extra two books? Exactly. <laughs> uh, Chimp Paradox, first what? one. Um, I love that book. Just the whole kind of mental model and the way that you can understand yourself, how you think and how you can try to manage it. <laughs> um, it's, it's just such a, it's such, for me, it's such an elegant way of 
approaching a very, very complex thing. Yeah, you know, the brain. I mean, you, how many years have you studied it? I mean, <laughs> years and years. And was it seven at UD plus this plus? Uh, it, no, no. Yeah, you know, it's, but it's. It. I think it, it helps. It helps you to understand yourself a little bit. Um, the other book I would think is probably worth people reading at the moment. I've just read a book by a guy called David Allison, mm -hmm. which is about value graphics. Mm -hmm. So rather than talk about demographics and how you might segment customers there, it talks about how you could segment customers based on their values. And whilst I'm not saying that it is then something that salespeople wouldn't necessarily take away and apply directly, just that understanding that there are so many deeper levels that we can go to really talk and connect to people, that can only benefit you in how that you move beyond sort of oh, what are your clear needs and wants to that sort of the more deeper way and how you can connect with people better. Probably not explaining it well, but I. It's more of a marketing book, but I just think it, I, I enjoyed it. It's, it's, it's the last one I've read, actually, so that's probably why it's fresh in my mind. And it's really, it's got me thinking about who I talk to, how I talk to them. Mm. And even if I want to talk to them, because if they're not aligned on values, it's going to be a very, very difficult thing to do. So it's, it's kind of alluding back to that psychological qualification I was talking about earlier. I'd recommend that just as a way to open your mind to it. You might not apply it 100%, but it will get the brain going. And it's, it's really nicely written. So, um, yeah, I'd, I'd say that at the moment. That, that, that's a very current one for me. Those are really interesting ones. Thank you for yeah. sharing those, uh, Fred. So how can, uh, how can our viewers connect with you, learn more about you? Uh, LinkedIn is, is, is usually the favourite. Yeah, so it's a go to LinkedIn. Fred Copestake um, on there. I think I'm probably the only one with that, with that surname, <laughs> that, that full name anyway. Um, yeah, that, that's the best one. Yeah, LinkedIn and, you know, set, set, connect, drop me a message. You know, I'm very happy to talk about this stuff as you, as you can probably guess um, and share. And uh, you know, if, it, if it's helping people get better at what they do, you know, I'm all up for that. So please do connect. Yeah. Great. Well, Fred, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, I, you know, I thought, I thought this was incredibly um, informative. I took a ton of, ton of value and learned a lot of stuff from there. Um, and, and really just to summarize, you know, this is about partnering with people, not just selling to people, um, you know, and this is about long-term relationships with people. And, and you can only do that where you have a healthy relationship as partners rather than just vendor or supplier and buyer on the one side. It's both of you coming together towards a future that you're both forging together. Um, so I thought this was an incredibly valuable uh, session. Thank you so much, Fred, for, for sharing what you have with us. I really appreciate it. No, my pleasure. Thank you. For, thank you for priming me with some decent questions. No, no, it's my, <laughs> thank you. It's my pleasure. And, and look, to, to everyone watching this, you know, what are your thoughts on this? Um, you know, please share with us your comments. Um, you know, don't forget to subscribe to the channel so that you can get immediate notification of when these new videos come about and we publish them. And, uh, you know, who in your community do you feel would best value and learn from this kind of information? Do please share it with them um, because our goal, and I know Fred and I share this, which is to elevate uh, the success and the approach of all salespeople. 
Um, so please share with any of those that you feel would really value and want to learn this type of information. Uh, till the next session, thank you very much, everyone, and we'll see you soon.